welcome to a new episode of Time to Shine. This is your host, Oscar Santolaya. Time to Shine presents you interviews with successful public speakers who share their experience and secrets with you in a weekly podcast. Hello, and thank you for joining us today. Today we will hear the voice of a very experienced business leader who will share with us his views on leadership in today's changing world. Alex Sosonov has more than 40 years international business experience and industry knowledge in both Europe and the United States, 35 of them spent at Hewlett-Packard. Among his accolades, in 1997, Sosonov was named Executive of the Year by the North American National Account Management Association for his leadership in vision in guiding HP's global sales operation through the rapidly changing IT industry. Last year, 2014, he was awarded an honorary doctor's degree from the Kaunas Technology University for his contribution to the entrepreneurship program in Lithuania. Hello, Alex. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Good morning, Oscar. It's an honor to have you here, Alex. Could you tell us more about yourself and your projects? Yeah, as you mentioned in the introduction, a uh, long time with uh, 35 years with Hewlett Packard. Uh, I started in uh, Geneva, Switzerland, uh, where my wife joined me. My wife is Finnish, and she joined me in Geneva. And uh, after a couple of years in Geneva, I moved to the United States and uh, was responsible for the HP 35, which uh, the older audience of viewers may remember as the uh, as the slide rule killer. <laughs> it was the, uh, the first electronic slide rule, if you like. And um, I would say that was my first experience working with a real entrepreneur, which was Bill Hewlett. And Bill Hewlett was always an example for me <clears throat> as a, uh, a very unique, special leader in the sense that he was um, um, a very, uh, not only a warm person, but very curious and very uh, innovative uh, everything was possible so he was really my my first role model and i was very privileged to work very closely with him as we developed uh, actually finished the hp 35 which was already in development and uh, as i was responsible for the whole marketing plan and the introduction uh, to the marketplace and so on um, and after that i had several other positions uh, with hewlett packard both in and out of europe so uh, my wife was very good traveling with me back and forward. So we decided that uh, uh, when I would retire, which happened in around 2002, uh, we would move to Finland. And that's mm -hmm. where, where I am right now. <laughs> and in this capacity, I've been uh, very fortunate to be able to work with Alto and some other activities that I can describe to you later if you want to. Sure. Oh, that's amazing that you work uh, with uh, Bill Hewlett himself. Well, sounds like great experience that you have had yeah that's not many people have had that opportunity to, <laughs> uh, to be close to the the founder of the company mm -hmm. and such a special person well and since we talk a lot about public speaking here in in this program could you tell us how were your first day as a public speaker ah yeah i saw that as a question um <laughs> frankly speaking i really never had a, a serious problem with that um because in, in HP, uh, particularly since I was managing some large organizations, 
uh, I very often had to stand in front of a big group and, and uh, you know, talk talk about the program, but also try to be motivating. And, and I always had one criteria I used was uh, how would I feel on the other side in mm. the audience? You know, what would I like to hear? What would I not like yes, to hear? Yes. So using that as a, as a criteria, I tried always to be um, uh, very informative. I tried always to <clears> have a message so that people walk out of the room with, with remembering one or two things. Mm. Uh, I never use busy slides. I always use very simple slides if I use them at all. Um, uh, try to put some humor in there, not mm. overdoing it. You know, the Americans <laughs> sometimes overdoing it. They mm. always have to start with a joke and finish with a joke. <laughs> uh, I didn't necessarily do that, although once in a while I, I, I would fall back into that uh, technique. But typically what I would do is use very simple slides that, um, that had very simple messages, trying to influence people so they would remember me, uh, remember the message. Um, so frankly speaking, I really never had the, a fear of stage um, that I can recall and uh, as my career went on uh, the audiences were getting bigger <laughs> mm-hmm. and um, you know it, it, it just I always wanted to make sure that that I was comfortable um, having said that a certain amount of uh, nervosity or a certain mm-hmm. amount of tension is always good because it makes you uh, really you know concentrate on what you're saying so you cannot be totally relaxed either mm. um, you asked me a question about um, uh, what, what was a, an event that was, you know, that I would remember. In this case, it was an embarrassing event because mm-hmm. we had uh, staged a, a big meeting for all our district managers, which was probably about a hundred of them in Europe at one time. And I had one of the people that worked for me. It was a, a, a young lady. She was supposed to fly in on a <clears throat> on a rope through the audience, oh. and uh, that was going to be uh, you know uh, the highlight of the presentation if you like because it it was tied into the message the rope broke and she fell right in front of my my boss on his feet and nothing happened to her but he looked at me and he said uh, let's try uh, to be a little bit more uh, uh, conservative next time <laughs> <laughs> that's the message i had about not taking any uh, unnecessary risk with the props so that always <laughs> stayed with me that everything happened uh, Everything went well, and I have met her since then once, and we we talked and we laughed about that. But uh, anyway, you can do some things, but always mm. make sure that uh, that you're in control. <laughs> okay, that's a really <laughs> nice story and a good piece of advice. Alex, you have very vast experience in worldwide leading positions in companies such as Hewlett Packard. What do you value the most from from this exta- entire experience? Well, the company, as I knew it, it's, it's, <coughs> has since then, you know, evolved quite a bit and changed mm-hmm. quite a bit. But uh, HP was a, um, a, an interesting company in the sense that it it created a atmosphere of of trust and respect. So um, um, it was very, it was an extremely motivating to work with uh, with my colleagues, and always had very good bosses. There was always a very good atmosphere. Um, uh, never, never an atmosphere of being overly aggressive, but mm-hmm. always an atmosphere of we wanted to succeed. So this this whole openness, uh, frankness, uh, trust, respect was was very embedded into the company philosophy. Again, started by the founders, both Mr. Hewlett and Mr. Packard, you know, instilled this kind of a working relationship. So 
I, you know, I never had a, a, a bad moment in the morning when I would go to work. I always feel motivated to go to work. Mm-hmm. Um, having said that, of course, there are ups and downs. But in general, I always felt very good and, and uh, very dedicated and very loyal to the company. Um, so it was a very special experience. And the company gave me an opportunity to, uh, to move rapidly to the ranks and be involved in uh, quite a few different assignments. And some of them, you know, I were stretched. I had to some, sometimes step out of a comfort zone, which is a, a one way to grow. Um, so overall, those 35 years have been absolutely outstanding, and uh, I wouldn't have had it any other way. And I've made some very good friends along the way, which are still friends today. Yeah, that's awesome. You point out the the leadership of the of the two founders, and that's, I guess, one of the reasons why this company has uh, still until today a big company has unlike other companies that started at that at that time no, decades ago yeah you know and maybe one thing you don't you don't know but for example uh, the company was started in 1939 mm. and then uh, you know it was a depression and so on and uh, um, lots of people lost their jobs mm. and when bill and dave started the company they decided that they will never have layoffs of people so rather grow a little bit slower Mm. but provide employment to everybody and not having to go through the, the drama of layoffs. Of course, that has changed dramatically over the years. This is no longer mm. you know, a philosophy that can sure. be kept. But the, the, the idea of, of being so concerned about the welfare of the employees mm. uh, has, has been embedded in the company very deeply. Oh, that's really awesome. Coming to the main topic we're going to discuss today, in your opinion, what are the main challenges of today's world? Boy, Oscar, that's... a that's a long list <laughs> and i'm sure that your listeners are fully aware of all the issues that we have uh, in the world today which is an incredible list of challenges you know all the way from climate change to uh, <clears throat> to terrorism to unemployment um, uh, lack of resources uh, just name it it's just mm. an incredible list of of uh, challenges that we face in the world today uh, and, and they're being accelerated or, if you like, uh, accentuated by uh, social media. So everybody knows every day, you know, when you open up the television. I always hope to have a little bit of good news on television. And you, you always, when, when there is some good news, you, you sort of um, put out a sigh of relief, say, ah, mm. you know, finally I hear something <laughs> that's positive. Because everything is so negative. So it's, it's uh, the world is obviously in, in, a, in turmoil. Um, the climate change, of course, is, is one that's serious in the sense that I think we're, we're competing with the nature and uh, we're winning the war in the sense that, uh, you know, we're taking more resources away from nature than nature can uh, replenish. So uh, that's not a short-term issue, but it's, it's, a, it's a long-term issue that affects everything else. You know, it affects uh, hunger in the world and affects uh, uh, the weather pattern and, excuse me, and floods and what have you. So it's it's a it's a series an accumulation of of issues that uh, most of them are man-made and um, which means that the solutions have to be man-made and that's where the challenge comes up. Mm-hmm. And you already mentioned that being more more connected is we know that brings opportunity but also has some disadvantage, right? Yeah, the, the connectivity of course is a you know. I always call the move from, from analog to digital and the mm-hmm. connectivity the mother of all the disruptions oh. <clears throat> because it has 
<clears throat> it's 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 fundamental to many of the disruptions, and I don't mean disruptions totally negative. I mean disruptions also as as innovation, mm -hmm. but the connectivity is um, is. <laughs> You know, I just, if you have a chance, you should listen to uh, Monica Lewinsky's uh, presentation mm -hmm. on uh, TED, on television. You, you can be part of TED. Um, TED stands for uh, Technology, Education, and and the D was... Design. Design, design. yeah, yes. you, you know about <laughs> it. But Monica Lewinsky doesn't need mm -hmm. uh, an introduction, but mm -hmm. she is talking about the, the bullying of the internet. So, mm -hmm. so you get actually the... You, you, an appreciation for uh, some of the the negative um, uh, part of uh, social media and connectivity, um, which I think you need to look at to balance exactly what you know what in, what connectivity can mean. Um, one of the interesting experiences I had being in uh, in Kaunas uh, reviewing about ten different uh, uh, startups and what their projects were, that they all wanted to uh, develop the smartest thing in the world mm. because of based on connectivity. You know, the smart shoe, the smart shirt, oh, yeah. the smart glasses, yeah. the smart this and the smart that. Mm. And I really had to sort of bring them back to earth and said, you know, <laughs> you know, you don't try to compete with the Googles and the Apples and mm. the Amazons, what have you. You don't have a chance there. And uh, why don't you pick one area, one very specific area? Maybe it involves connectivity but yeah. something that is very unique and invent something that can be later embedded, you know, rather than, than trying to be a, a connectivity champion. Um, so, yeah, I, I think, you know, this is a new world we're in, that, that everything is connected. You know, uh, people are connected to people. People are connected to things. Things are connected to things. Machines are connected to machines. Um, the whole area of... Um, um, what you what you call today the Internet of Things is is uh, an extremely exciting and interesting development, uh, but it's also going to be a challenge because you're going to have a huge amount of data coming out of uh, of items of machines or whatever, mm -hmm. and uh, you're sort of asking me about connectivity, and I think the next step is is going to be the, the step of big data. You know what are we going to do with all this data? Um, uh, the only way you can use it, you know, the only thing you can get out of data is if you make it useful and if you make it uh, treatable. Um, so I believe that the, the next future in this whole paradigm of, uh, of connectivity is going to be uh, the analytics, you know, uh, ways to analyze the data coming out and make something useful out of it. So I think that's the next paradigm. Uh, analytics, business analytics, but also in general, scientific analytics. Uh, areas in the healthcare, um, mm -hmm. but I think there's not a single area of application where, where where big data is going to be very significant. So the the bottom line is connectivity. Yes, uh, make sure we understand the uh, the black side of connectivity, but also the next paradigm of uh, of data, big data, and the tremendous opportunities that will come out of there. You know, once we once we control. Uh, analytics and specifically artificial intelligence to take advantage of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's I I absolutely agree with you. And you are, you having all all this experience in in Hewlett Packard and all these companies, you have a really good view of what is coming. But I agree that analytics should be. I think in the in the at the moment I'm, I'm being used more for the commercial side for selling more and this this kind of stuff. But as you say, there 
that can be used for things that bring bring value to the to the society to the to the welfare of people. Alex, you already mentioned about the uh, disrupting, but in a good way, what is the best way to disrupt the status quo? Well, I th I think that you can look at uh, any process today, um, and that's what I I keep telling the the young startups that are looking for mm -hmm. ways to you know create a successful new process new product is look around you and figure out a way to uh, do things better cheaper and faster and um, you know uh, step out of the box in other words don't get influenced by by legacy thinking but mm -hmm. concentrate on you know on having a team of people that can think through how you can how you can disrupt a current process and they can be you know they can be anywhere they can be uh, in business they can be in uh, in technology they can be in 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 vertical markets um uh, it doesn't matter you know uh uber is a good example of uh, of a disruption of uh, transportation with, mm -hmm. with taxis which is running in a lot of resistance because that's the other element you know mm -hmm. once you start to disrupt yes. you run into resistance so you need to overcome the resistance and that's not always easy because you have uh, uh, a legal structure that sometimes is uh, is uh, is legacy and protects the uh, the dis disruptee mm -hmm. so um, um, it requires a lot of uh, um, perseverance determination and and uh, creativity to to disrupt um, I give you an example of one of the activities that I'm involved in mm -hmm. I'm a chairman of a company called fly Victor mm -hmm. which uh, provides um, private jet services and what we're trying to do here is is disrupt the model which exists today where if you wanted you know if you want to charter a jet for example you call a, a broker and a broker is a person that sits in an office with a fax or a telephone and a telephone and, and, a, and a printer and um, and said okay we'll give you a quote and you get a number and and typically you don't know what's in the number but they say that you mm -hmm. urgently need that, that jet so you you accept that offer mm -hmm. But you have no idea what's what's behind the offer what kind of airplane um, um, you don't have any information about the pilots uh, the cost is very um, uh, invisible the elements of the cost are mm -hmm. very invisible to you so what we're trying to do with the web-based system in fly victor is make everything transparent so that means that you know the cost is transparent we, we take between seven and ten percent commission and that's transparent um, you have we have a choice between um, somewhere around thousand different airplanes um, you get three different quotes uh, you can look inside the airplane that you want to have okay. so in other words we, what we're trying to do is to put the consumer totally in control mm. of the product or the service that the, that the person wants to acquire and uh, so actually what we're doing here is we're disrupting the traditional broker business mm. which is not regulated and untransparent mm. into transparency so here's a good example um, We're going to have some resistance, obviously, because the broker is sure. going to say, hey, you're killing my business. We said, <laughs> well, then join us, you know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so um, so that's an example um, in which I'm personally involved. But I mean, I do a lot of reading and, and almost everything is, is about disruption. You know, it's about taking advantage of the digitalization and the, net and the connectivity to make things different uh, very often for the better, hopefully. But the disruption also has tragedies. You know, it takes people out of jobs and things like that. Um, companies that have been in, you know, 100 years old all of a sudden disappear. Mm -hmm. If the CEO did not see the 
the the danger coming in time and and restructure the company. So there's a lot of tragedy, if you like, and and unhappiness and and uh, socially uh, difficult situation that that going along with disruption. But it's a trend, it's a movement, and it's unstoppable. So we just have to be realistic about that. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's a good example. The Fly Victor, the the, the company you're working now. That uh, a little bit of advertising for Fly Victor. Yeah, here. also. <laughs> Alex, do we also need to disrupt the way how people communicate with others? Yeah, maybe disruption in, in reverse, in the sense that um, you know the 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 elements of connectivity allows you to communicate with people um, through email, through uh, mm -hmm. all of the social media, to Twitter, to all the chat the chat uh, facilities. But I think what what people need to learn. And, and not forget is that still the personal communication is is more significant. Mm, absolutely. And uh, I was just reading an article about about my son, about my grandson's uh, favorite um, um, game, which Minecraft. Mm -hmm. And I read about the fact that Minecraft is so mind-boggling. <laughs> it's so intensively uh, attractive to children mm -hmm. in a positive way because sometimes they call it the digital Lego. Um, it is not as bad as a as a as a um, uh, violent game, mm -hmm. but it's it is so um, attractive to these children that sometimes they forget the reality. So mm -hmm. what I'm saying is the the virtual world for these kids become more important than the reality. Mm. And the same thing is with communication. If you are communicating virtually, you know you forget the communication in the virtual in the in the real world. That it's like you and I sitting down and talk yes. about it, you know, <laughs> face to face. You can see the reaction of the people. You can see the body language. You can see mm -hmm. eye to eye. So, um, so yeah, that I think, you know, it has to be balanced, and that's not always easy. For older people like me, it's it's easier. But the young people, if they're not balanced, you know, they will sort of be overwhelmed by the virtual world, and I think that's a big danger. Yeah, absolutely agree. So, it's, even though the the connectivity brings benefits makes easier to communicate with others yes but yeah sometimes you have to get out of the, the house of the office and meet people just meet exactly. face to face that we, exactly. we shouldn't reduce exactly. no? violence as you say that's the that's the best way exactly. alex could you share with us your favorite quotation i have a few of them that i hmm? you know once i saw your question i went through some of my speeches and i looked at the few of them i have and uh, the one i liked very much is the one that says as you develop the roadmap of the future Make sure you're part of the steamroller and not part of the road. Oh. And I have a nice picture of the steamroller going on the road. So, um, so that's one of one of the, the ways I w I wanted to finish uh, the speech because it shows the urgency and it shows that you need to be on the on the right side, you know, of the of the dynamics. Um, another one that that I I wrote down just to remember it was. Um, Uh, it's an interesting one because it's um, it's an African proverb mm -hmm. and it says every morning in Africa a gazelle wakes up mm -hmm. and it knows it must run faster than the fastest lion or it will be killed mm. every morning a lion wakes up it knows it must outrun the slowest gazelle or it will starve to death <laughs> so it doesn't matter whether you're a lion or a gazelle When the sun comes up, you better start running. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> That is really nice one. 
but they all have to do with you know with sense of urgency if things are moving faster uh, everything is 24 times 7 today mm-hmm. um, you know what I say to CEOs that you know when you go to bed your competitor on the other side of the world is uh, trying to disrupt you that's 24 <laughs> times 7 so this this whole sense of urgency the fact that everything is running faster you know things used to be in my day as a career things used to be we always talk about let's do this this year you know or mm-hmm. let's do it in a couple of months you know and now it's let's do it tomorrow or let's do it this week yes. so you know everything is is becoming it's not relative it's absolute everything is is just moving so fast so quick and putting enormous amount of stress on 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 our leaders today yeah that's how our days are Alex, could you recommend us one book that has inspired you and you think our listeners should read it? Yeah, there's a book I recently uh, read and it's called, um, I'll, I'll get it to you, I'll show it to you. The World of Yesterday, Stefan Zweig. Stefan Zweig, yeah. And uh, it's, Stefan Zweig was a, uh, an author, an Austrian author who lived through the First World War and then the Second World War. Mm-hmm. And... Um, describes in the book the frustration he had with um, with politics um, the fact that you know the first world war when they signed the Versailles treaty Germany was basically humiliated mm-hmm. and that was the f- foundation you know for the creation of Nazism and so on so anyway he mm-hmm. just he just creates uh, a picture that you know many of the political decisions that have been made in the world are are fundamental uh, to some of the issues we have, and you could relate to to what's happening in Russia today. You know, we're not going to have a discussion on Russia mm-hmm. today, but I always keep saying people that if you want to understand what's going on in Russia, you have to understand Russia, you know, for the good and for the bad. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I think when you read the book, there's a lot of understanding of that. In fact, he got so frustrated that he and his wife committed suicide, oh. which is very sad, just after the book was written. Mm-hmm. But um, it's a friend of mine in Finland here recommended that I would read it, and... Um, I did read it, and I thought it was really worthwhile. Uh, and it's relatively easy to read. Uh, Sometimes people criticize him for simplicity, but I still <laughs> think it's very good. And I would recommend any of your uh, to your listeners to uh, at least take a look at it and hopefully read it. Sure. Stefan Zweig, The World of Yesterday. Do you have any other final message of piece yeah, of advice you well, could tell us? The, the message I have is... is uh, Again, it's a topic that I have uh, very, very frequently addressed in my in my talks. Is that uh, you know you 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 asked me in the beginning what are some of the challenges in the world, and I and I sort of listed a few of those. But more significantly, I think that uh, today the uh, the models we have to solve the problems are are not working anymore. Whether they're political uh, problems or social problems or uh, you know business problems, industrial problems. Um, so th- it seems like the models we have today are, are not, you know, are not working well to solve them. Um, hopefully today we may have some good news about the um, negotiations with Iran, um, but it also could go the other way. And that again will open up the, uh, the whole debate about is this the right approach to solve problems like that. So that's that's one of the issues, you know, the the model the models uh, may not may be outdated to solve some of these fundamental problems. Look how little progress we've made with uh, with climate change. Um, most of the 
most of the progress we made are basically in industrial, you know, cleaning up things, uh, automotive progress we're making with electric cars and so on. But the fundamental government-related uh, decisions to attack the, um, the global climate issues don't seem to work very well. So that's one of the issues. And the second, second point I wanted to make is that um, do we have the right leadership to solve the problems? Mm. And again, this is a whole topic that we don't have time to discuss now, but I, I strongly believe that uh, the whole concept of entrepreneurship is one way we can address some of the issues. You know, get the younger generation, people like you, uh, younger generation to uh, attack some of those issues in a, in a very fresh, um, uh, you know, non, non-legacy influenced way with a lot of energy. And uh, it's nice to see that uh, in politics and industry we see slowly the older generation being replaced. I think we have to be very careful that we don't just throw the old generation away and, and, mm. and move to... Uh, to, uh, to new, uh, a new generation of managers without experience. So I still think there needs to be a balance with uh, sure. the older CEOs bringing in their inspiration and the younger uh, generation bringing in their entrepreneurial energy to move forward. So entrepreneurship and, and the whole spirit of entrepreneurship and the culture that goes with it to me are fundamental to solve some of these fundamental problems that we described. Alex, thank you very much for this interview. It has been very inspiring. I, I like a lot your stories. Uh, please keep uh, keeping, having your voice and talking to entrepreneurs and new leaders because you all really will inspire us. Thank you very much for the interview. Thank you, Oscar, and good luck. <laughs> all the best. Bye-bye. Dear listeners of Time to Shine, this is the end of today's episode. If you like our show, please subscribe to our podcast in iTunes, Stitcher, For more information, visit our website www.timetoshinepodcast.com. Welcome to listen to us again next week.